Welcome to Health Unchained. Is it possible to have an all-in-one virtual health assistant connecting all of your data to provide you with real-time recommendations to improve your health? This may not be the first time you've heard of this, but Sanjeev Wadwa, futurist and founder of Life Singularity, is actually working to bring together all emerging technologies to create this sort of assistant. Personally, I think Life Singularity is pursuing too many paths, and it seems like a rather difficult goal, but I really enjoyed speaking with Sanjeev, and I agree with his belief that ultimately, empathy and being present will bring us all together. I hope you enjoy this episode 47. Before we get started with the show, I do have a few announcements. First, if you haven't already taken the Udemy course on healthcare and blockchain, you should really get to it now because it is for non-technical healthcare professionals. People who might not understand blockchain completely are not coders. This is for you. Don't hesitate to sign up. There is real value in understanding blockchain's potential impact in healthcare. You can use my special discount promo code DOGUM2019 for 75% off the regular price of the course. If you haven't already subscribed to Robert Miller's weekly newsletter, Healthcare and Blockchain, you really should. It highlights the best blockchain healthcare stories every week. He publishes every Sunday, and I appreciate Bert's involvement in the community. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. We are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And lastly, I'd like to remind my audience that I'll be moderating a really awesome panel about telehealth, blockchain, and space at the Converge to Accelerate conference here in Boston. It'll be on October 15th, and you should get your tickets to the conference very soon because it is really slated to be the best healthcare blockchain conference of the year. Many podcast guests will be there, and it'll be a great opportunity to learn what's really happening in the market. If you use service code Health Unchained, you will be supporting the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to episode 47 of Health Unchained. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Life Singularity, Sanjeev Wadwa. And he spent much of his career in innovation and technology in the healthcare space. Life Singularity is a startup looking to ultimately create a virtual assistant for every individual on the planet using artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and blockchain to drive precision medicine. Sanjeev, thank you for joining today's show. And I'm looking forward to learning from your insights and also about Life Singularity. Yeah, good morning, Ray. Thank you for me on the show and I look forward to an exciting discussion. Great. And, you know, I think it's most important to get started with your background to give an audience an idea of where you, you came from. So I know you were a partner at Ernst & Young and also spent some time at J&J, Johnson & Johnson. 
Um, okay. Can you just you know briefly discuss your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I've had the privilege of over three decades of um, work uh, in life sciences, health care industry, working across payers and providers. Um, was able to you know not only come in from a, a perspective of having set up some initial labs uh, in the pharma industry to be able to watch closely how the process of you know, understanding R&D unfolds and then eventually as, you know, the product makes to the market and gets deployed in patients uh, to see how healthcare evolves. Uh, over my uh, career, I was then fortunate enough to uh, be become an executive, you know, over healthcare innovations um, at CSC first and then at Ernst & Young and to be able to, you know, apply game-changing commercial models which, which allow us a perspective of not just thinking uniquely from a single segment of the uh, healthcare industry, but across the healthcare ecosystem uh, as we approach patient centricity or now consumer centricity. So that's what's led me to you know, sort of the building life singularity as a, as a moonshot startup. And, and um, I love what I do every day. So it's about bringing the health ecosystem to now focus on me as a, as a patient and hopefully in not far too long a future as a consumer actively engaged in my own health. Awesome. And I do know you went to Stevens Institute of Technology in, in New yeah. Jersey. Uh, that's my home state as well. And okay. studied electrical engineering and computer yeah. science. Yes. So you have a very technical background. So I'm wondering how you got into the healthcare industry initially. Yeah, so um, actually it started uh, through, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough having done my uh, master's thesis under the auspices of uh, the Star Wars defense program. So AI was very early. It was none of the cloud infrastructure existed. It was Lisp and, and Prolog and languages that probably are only existing in a mainframe environment someplace today. Uh, but, you know, the ability to do pattern recognition, uh, the ability to apply pattern recognition to an industry. And, and um, the industry in, in this geography was leading life sciences industry. And so that's where I began my career. And I was fortunate enough to um, work on innovations as they were just stemming out. Supercomputing was just starting. Uh, you know, we didn't call it big data then. And, and we didn't even know how big data could be harnessed then. But I had the fortune to apply some of my background in understanding how computer models could be applied to, to health data. And, and from there began my interest in sort of intersection of, you know, what my background offer with my experience. So my experience uh, was totally immersed in 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 life sciences initially, and then over time in healthcare. And through that experience, then we started to apply as, as technologies evolved into cloud and uh, availability and democratization of, you know, being able to leverage uh, from a large entity perspective. So if you think of, you know, J&J, J&J was in 120 countries. And so I learned scale and, and scale required you know, transformation uh, beyond uh, 
different uh, you know, geography. You had to learn how to deal with you know, regulations across the ecosystem and, and how do you apply this in, in a population that was uh, sort of beyond uh, your company. And so that's got what got me interested into building out these large-scale health collaborations and, and working on ecosystem transformations, the core to which was, you know, AI, cloud, IoT, and blockchain is where we sit today. So tell me about the vision for Life Singularity. Like, why did you start it? How big is the company? Yeah. So, um, you know, over over those three decades in, in, the, in the healthcare industry, come from a background of applying uh, big data to to precision medicine and what I found was missing is that we were working um, you know much more of the focus was on the genetics uh, you know what gene actuated a certain uh, health event if you will and and not as much focus on you know the the whole health and, and holistic view of health and I you know, as you as you begin to think about precision health, precision health is, um, I mean, it requires you to build uh, a knowledge about my environment, uh, my experiences beyond the clinic. And so clinic or a hospital or a health event might only represent 10%. The other 90% is outside of that. And, but we didn't have the ability or technologies up until you know, eight, nine years ago to begin understanding my lifestyles, behaviors, preferences, and to feed that into what drives my health. And so in order to hone in on what my, you know, precision health would look like, I decided to build a startup on, you know, in, in terms of applying the skill sets of taking healthcare as a total experience that combines AI, virtual care, connected devices, and then build that learning around my lifestyles and behaviors so I can actually hopefully, you know, predict, preempt, and prevent a future health event. And then if I can, then, then you know, I can, I can deploy these capabilities with, with a permissioned context uh, at home, at your, in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. around you. And, and with that, we, we probably can know, reduce a huge amount of healthcare cost. Um, and so, so in my mind, you know, the vision for life singularity, which is a virtual assistant. So it's, it's, it's always present, always on, and it's not just an event. It's a confluence of, of knowing everything about me uh, to address me as a whole. Interesting. And I'm curious, how large is the company now? How many employees? Is it still... Yeah, we are just an early stage startup, um, a total of, you know, eight folks who are sort of devoted to over the last five years, building the platform and, and, you know, making this real in terms of addressing how we could first take enormous amounts of data. So uh, for, for us to build an ecosystem around a patient or a consumer requires us to ingest lots of data and, and you know, then build you know, the AI insights and then hone those to deploy uh, in a patient setting. So part of the team is focused on building that foundation. Another part is focused on building the AI services 
you know, another last part is around deployment of sort of our virtual care, uh, which leverages VR and blockchain. Obviously, I noticed the word singularity in the name. And, you know, when I think of that, I think of the like technological singularity that, for example, Ray Kurzweil talks about yeah. where AI will converge with humanity sometime in like the year 2045 or something like that. So was that yeah. influenced to how you selected the name? It, it, um, it influenced uh, me in the sense that I do think um, that there would be aspects of our health which could be, um, which could be driven by unsupervised learning, which could be driven through uh, continuous monitoring and automation uh, of, of, you know, knowing my context without me being aware of it. And, and so part of healthcare, you know, the, the issue of the issue of healthcare today is it's, it's already burdensome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to, uh, it's, it's driven retrospectively. It's driven by an acute event and, and I pay a lot for it. Um, so, you know, could we flip all of those into a pyramid where I can begin by knowing everything about me as much as you would permission me and then, using that insight to prospectively and you know, delivery of that insight in a prospective manner, in a near real time manner. That flips our healthcare model on its, you know, on its edge. And then so that's, that to me was the inspiration for singularity. It was not just about uh, clinical outcomes. Uh, it's about financial outcomes, risk outcomes and building that the, the aspects of the ninety percent of the uh, my life that you don't don't capture today that to me is is the singularity and the word life is it, it is health is, is encompassing only ten percent of my life and you need that remainder ninety percent in order to predict where my health would would go next so one thing I caught from that was how you said uh, it would the data would have to be permissioned. And I want to get back to that later in the conversation. But I also want to congratulate you guys because uh, Life Singularity's platform was accepted top 20 out of 500 startups in 2018 in the Healthcare Innovation Lab for medical entrepreneurship and disruption. Uh, And that was held in San Diego and at the Exponential Medicine, which is a Singularity University. It's part of that. Yes. uh, you want to talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so you know, um, as an entrepreneur, you're always you're always wondering uh, about you know the value that you create, uh, you know, and then how you differentiate yourself in the ecosystem. I mean, we've come from a world, you know, where you know venture capital is driven to to basically help you compete, right? So the more you get funded, you know, it obviously helps with the resourcing and, and ability to build a better platform. Where I think what was missing, uh, you know, as I sort of looked at large-scale health collaborations is the purpose. Um, and I think driven, you have to drive health with a purpose in mind. And the purpose is, uh, you know, and I did a lot of work on this at Ernst & Young, which was, you know, a collective intent. And our collective intent is to focus on that patient, that journey, and hopefully make that journey much more than just about you know, 
what's the next drug I can sell to you know you or ne- next medical device um, because I think that's the next thing that can help manage your disease. Um, how about we you know change that to thinking about uh, something like maybe I can help uh, prevent those health events and maybe that's the journey we should be embarking on. So so. You know, as we as we approached exponential medicine, the exponential part to me was let's drive a collaborative purpose, uh, which which by nature would encourage uh, instead of competition, you're basically bringing together uh, large scale entities or or you know collaborators who would naturally work with you either in a crowdsourced way or apply uh, their knowledge of a certain problem that they have helped resolve to contribute to the overall journey of the patient. So when, when, we, um, when we applied to them, uh, it was part to understand uh, that other business models can now begin to emerge. It's no longer, a lot of the solutions in our digital health universe, and as you look at this space, and, and um, part of what has happened is we, you know, most companies, digital health companies are focused on a unique condition or a unique device or a unique intervention. Uh, it's never about me as a patient. And if I have to get paid for outcomes, if I have to build a journey around me, it needs a massive collaboration around me. And so part of how I think we, we you know, made it to top 20 was driving that purpose and collaboration and, and building a platform around that requires us to integrate uh, not just, you know, a, a um, it allows us to integrate AI, the Internet of Things, uh, blockchain, and, and my ongoing context. And by doing that, um, we, we have built a unique capability, uh, a unique insight. And I think that drove some of the selection. Yeah, and you know, just thinking if I was a venture capitalist or investor, yeah, what I would tell you is I think you're doing too much. I really think that the company, you know, Life Singularity is trying to accomplish and trying to use too many technologies and accomplish a whole great deal of services for the market. How mm-hmm. do you address VCs who tell you that? And I'm sure they've said that to you before. Yeah, and I think that's a very retrospective view of uh, you know, in a resource-limited environment uh, when cloud didn't exist and, and you had to think of, uh, you know, a single intervention, a single disease. Um, I mean, diabetes, you know, could be seven to ten diseases underneath, right? Um, cancer is over a thousand diseases. So we tend to go down the path of, well, let me just kind of do that because it's easier to, to get, you know, venture capital around that. What cloud allowed us, Ray, and, and I think this is the, the unbelievable part of it allowed us to integrate 25 different technologies and, and to build a very unique perspective uh, you know, about a patient's journey into our model. And yes, it took the time because we built the foundation of 100 million patients. We then staggered that foundation into building insights across all my health journeys. So one of the key uh, differentiators for us was that we didn't begin with just diabetes in mind and, and try 
try to explore that. We wanted to begin with, you know, what is your ecosystem of health? And, and your ecosystem of health might be heart disease, diabetes, atrial fibrillation, congestive heart failure, because these are all interrelated uh, universes of, uh, of disease which coexist. These are all comorbidities. And, and so part of me going to a hospital today and say, well, my sugar is off, um, they, they put you on metformin and, and you're sent home because they've done the job of addressing that event at that time, but they have not addressed my health. So when, when we approach venture capital now, we talk to them about how easy, uh, not easy, but how relevant has made application of a wide breadth of technologies for a small startup to be able to apply uh, in, in parallel to, to reflect on what that probable insight you know, would be. And, and through that, we've been able to generate very, very powerful insights, which, which I can assure you that a, a entity focused on a unique condition um, you know, cannot uh, accomplish. Um, they may hone in on a single marker, uh, but not approach my health as an overall. And, and given the trend towards value-based care, um, it's going to become, I believe, platforms like ours will become a, a necessary foundation of how health gets measured and delivered. And I think social determinants of health, um, yeah, they are the thing that drives our health, obviously. Yeah, and yeah. like you had in your on your website, 40% of it is really personal choice, like individual behavior, and then 30% of it is genetic. So there goes the bulk of what yes. determines your health. Yeah. Uh, medical care is only about 10% of how your health is determined. And right. I actually have a, an episode uh, on this with Yuhan Sonin, and he created a really beautiful graph describing these determinants of health uh it's episode 20 for my audience so check that out awesome and I, yeah good. and i think you know that direction that you're going i, I agree with but i mm -hmm. still think that there are so many points of data collection that you're trying to capture it makes it really hard to focus on on your customer or on your market and you know yeah. fine-tuning what they really want so i understand you're collecting exposome data Mm -hmm. and geospatial monitoring. Yeah. Can you kind of discuss those data points and how it's being collected? Yeah, so, you know, part of um, what I learned very early on and I, and I saw this um, evolution, uh, you know, born and raised in, in, in a large city, which saw its infrastructure grow from, you know, wide roads and, and you know, too many vehicles on the road to complete congestion and, and you know, immense amount of pollution. And I saw, you know, folks living in the neighborhoods, you know, sort of go, you can see the natural progression of diseases in them. So environment plays a massive role in, in driving your health. And, and the idea that, you know, if you're not capturing what, you are, what your daily exposures are, it, it becomes a complete necessity on, on in those social determinants of health. So part of understanding your exposome, maybe, you know, the, the amount of pollution in the atmosphere that you breathe, it may be, you know, other aspects of social determinants like, 
you know, are you near, are you, do you have to drive 20 miles to the nearest grocery store or, you know, to the clinical care? Mm-hmm. Are there any farmer's markets? Is food available, which is driven through local farming communities versus, you know, it's being transported uh, from, you know, further out? So, so the idea of, you know, taking what we looked at as behaviors, right, and lifestyles. So behaviors was what I was talking about before, which could be measured through sensing. And, and lifestyles is, is the other big contributors and which, which has a lot of the social determinant input. So part of us trying to approach, um, when you look at social determinants, there is no clear data source which can help you capture these. There is, you know, open data around it, which is what we leverage to to work with. Um, but that's number of different. Uh, you know, there's environment atlases and there's food atlases, and then you know you try to bring bring together a zip code level view of where the patient and the population live. Um, but but if you if you want to make health prospective, right? So. So what I would say, Ray, is in terms of building the foundation, we had to begin broad. We began with the medical context or, or if you kind of think of our EHR, EMR realm of universe. But then if you add environment and you add uh, aspects of you know, emotion and, and ability to continually map uh, your lifestyles and behaviors, now you can begin to pinpoint, right? It's, it's the precision aspect of what's driving those events and, and how do you get there. So our foundation is broad and malleable. We, we, we don't have to begin with everything today, but we wanted to make sure that our data foundation was built on a continual uh, model where we could continue to aggregate, uh, you know, my life journey, if you will, or my exposures or my emotions, right? My lifestyles and behaviors. And then that's just about me, but then I could aggregate that across millions of trajectories to Harper and Hone and say, well, what, what worked with, with Ray and, and patients similar to Ray, right? Patients like me might work for another group as well. And, and so it's about driving medical similarity, neighborhood similarity. It's about contextual similarity, and that does require a broad foundation. So that's where we began. But then that allows us to now hone in on, you know, different services, you know, for different aspects of care. And then that's where we focus very narrowly, right? So one to two diseases that will help us get our uh, clinical validation done. But then from a services standpoint, it allows me to build, you know, mundane things around my context. So can I just, if I know about your context and I know, there is a health event approaching, I have access to your diary, can I make an appointment for you? Can I alert your caregiver? Right? If, if you are a dementia patient and, and roaming about your own home because you forgot your name or you forgot where you are, um, let me point you to, uh, hey, John, you know, this is your bedroom. Let's, let's take you there, right? Or, hey, John, I've called Nancy, your caregiver, uh, because I see, you know, you need some assistance here. So it's about building that, and that's that's where we sort of went with the breadth of, of collection of data. Yeah, and when you say like you know for that dementia patient, for example, is it so? Yeah. Is this assistant at this point? It's I'm assuming something like a voice, or yes. 
right? And then are you predicting in the future it'll enable maybe robots to be assisting? Yes. Vision there? Yeah, so, you know, the, the way we wanted to build our AI, the AI engine had to be learning forever. And, and we wanted AI to be deployed at edge, edge being your home, right? And your immediate context, edge being, you know, you, you walking around in the street and it's, it's on your, you know, it's in your, it's a device that's measuring your ongoing vital signs, right? Or your neighborhood exposures, right? So, so the actual part, AI engine you know, will be locally stored? Locally on stored device. on the device, in your home, in your context. And then part of the data that streams to to that local device, um, you know, senses local events and alerts your caregiver, your you, right, or or whoever is managing your health, maybe a provider, right, to to that next prospective event. And and part of this was you you can I mean if you have to imagine this at scale, right? If you have ten million patients with each being, you know, sensorized to five to 10 sensors, you now have 10 million streams streaming back into the cloud, you know, where, where AI is determining what a prospective set of events might be. So instead of uh, using up uh, all of that bandwidth, we, we wanted to localize AI to where your context is. And that allowed us, you know, multiple things. Uh, it will manage you where you are. And then over time, because it's continually learning, uh, you know, it sets up uh, competitively. It can't be, you know, it can't be replicated because it's your context. It's managing you uh, rather than just at a population level where I say all diabetics are the same, right, and require the same intervention. I see. So I, I get the idea of using AI yeah. to collect multiple variables yeah. environment individual behavior um you know a variety of things even yeah. your behavior your uh, your psychological um demeanor or your psychological mm -hmm. status but how does blockchain come into this yeah so <clears throat> blockchain as i as we sort of looked at how uh, part of Part of determining a patient journey, patient journey is very fragmented. Um, I go to a primary care physician or I go to a hospital system for whatever those events might relate to, or I might go to two or three providers of health. I then go back to a caregiver and none of that is in one place. It's not mapped. There is no physical ability to actually integrate all of these systems. So what do we default to? We default to a pair or we default to a provider or we default to a health system because naturally that's where we think some of this data you know, comes together, right? But part of approaching that with a, with a blockchain in mind was that could we actually take parts of this journey and begin to share that journey across whoever, whoever provides for my health but they don't have to necessarily uh, trust uh, uh, each other, but they could share, but they could trust uh, the aspects of my journey that were being shared, right? So because it allows everyone a perspective on what my holistic uh, you know, lifestyle pattern behavior aspects are, and, and it's valuable for everyone to know that I've just visited an endocrinologist, and now I'm going to see my cardiologist. Right? And so blockchain 
helps us build that continual view about the journey. Now, the other aspect of this is, you know, because it's immutable and auditable, uh, and that's where some of the roles about, you know, a virtual assistant and, and smart agreements will pay, play for us because um, we can go back and rewind. Uh, we can, you know, so the virtual assistant makes a recommendation because I've just provided her with an insight on, on the next series of health events for me. And she, she takes a certain series of actions based on those health events. So either refer me to a physician, et cetera. And, and based on that, uh, turns out, let's say there is a few false positives. It's, it would happen in, with AI, there would be some false negative or a false positive. A false positive would be an extra visit to my physician. A false negative would be something like me missing the disease completely, right? Breast cancer. So if, if we didn't detect breast cancer, then, then you know, I've not done right by the patient. However, if I falsely detected you having, uh, and you know, your blood sugar might go up by tomorrow and, and that caused you an extra visit, that is, it is, it is still not great, but it's manageable. It's an extra visit, right? So we, we tend to look at these things from a perspective of not just blockchain, sort of working on its own. It has to work in conjunction with, uh, you know, whatever I'm learning about you, can I make that something that we could, you know, continue to add value from? So blockchain will allow us the ability to audit, uh, to make our recommendations even more precise. And then obviously it's, it's immutable and doesn't go away. So if somebody uh, from an ongoing validation perspective, if somebody wants to, review uh, our recommendation framework or whether even the physician, whether even the physician made uh, a correction or a wrong recommendation, then that flows back into, into that framework. And that's how we're planning to leverage that. Interesting. Can you kind of discuss your technology stack? So I'm curious. So you said blockchain. Are you currently, have you implemented a blockchain already? So blockchain is an R&D for us. And, and what I was trying to allude to was that we are trying to make one-on-one -on -one agreements initially on, on a certain type of events uh, with the patient. So if, I, if I'm going to watch a certain condition come alive, um, then can I do something about you know, making that recommendation to the patient, uh, but then also trying to clear you know, if those events have occurred. So for example, if I'm recommending, you know, you are a diabetic, Ray, and you need to walk 10,000 steps a day. And, you know, because you walk those 10,000 steps a day, it automatically, you know, the event gets recorded, measured and recorded. And so over time, my physician now at, at the end of next month gets a profile about me that says, you know, Ray walked 10,000 steps a day every day and he's lost six pounds uh, on his weight and and here's the trend so so it reduces the amount of it, it gives this continual insight to my to my you know into my health whether it's to my physician to my caregiver and all and and it it's a it's a way for me to begin building a different kind of engagement with you an interaction with you as a patient or as a consumer outside of your health event it begins to now sharpen how I work with you in that 90% of your context. 
to hopefully avoid that 10% that you visit me for. Right, but in that example, I wouldn't say you would really need a blockchain. That could just be done on the cloud, like you're currently using, yeah, and then yeah. have it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah the, difference, the, the difference is to, to, first I need to know where your journey is headed, and, and because all of my recommendations in AI may not you know, be to the point all the time, so all my recommendations may or may not be correct, or all the physician recommendations may or may not be correct. I need a record to establish where where this you know what I've predicted for you, you know, could withstand over time. At least I'm eighty percent. I'm more right about you than I'm wrong about you. Mm -hmm. And and building that relationship, right? So that relationship requires me to understand that ongoing context, and and that's what and and, and knitting that context across my ecosystem. So I can say, Ray, you you know you just went we noticing your trend i see you visited your you know endocrinologist three times last week and and but now you're you know as i see that you're eating uh, you know you've had three drinks today all loaded with you know sugary calories could i make some adjustment could i recommend some adjustments based on your dietitian right and so part of this is how do you do that yes you could continue to um, you know, build this on a on a infrastructure, but with no insight to build a one on one one on one agreement. And I think that's where some of the smart agreements would allow us to capture this data, act upon this data, and maintain a record of this data, which can then sort of be sort of be inspected over time. And that's that's our core sort of value prop around blockchain. I see. So you said you would be using a managed blockchain. So would that yeah. be a private? Are you looking at what kind of options are you looking at in terms of yeah. infrastructure? Yeah. So you know, it's 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 where I, I thought about a private blockchain, but eventually, I I mean, you know, they, they, it'll be permissioned. Obviously, uh, we want to start with private because it'll help us build as we go out and talk to the health systems, it'll help with the early sort of adoption of, of you know, saying, well, here's a way you could get a, you could always go back and rewind my health history and kind of look at that. And they can say, well, the EHR gives me that, right? But the EHR doesn't give you the 90% of my context, right? Mm -hmm. EHR only gives you the 10% of the context uh, that, that I interacted with you on. So that's where I think blockchain can begin to play a huge role uh, in, in terms of initially starting with private and then depending on how the health system wants to unfold that, I, I think that there is a, a marketplace that can be built where, um, you know, if you're aggregating data, let's say you found, and, and I think some of this is where I initially began sort of looking at why aggregating data across the ecosystem really, really is, is the first starting point because I saw individual organizations deploy solutions just based on their context. And so if we can help combine insights across health systems mm -hmm. through a natural collaboration mechanism like a blockchain, um, then that will help begin to, you know, you can now, you know, do joint publications, joint insights, joint care pathways and that's already begun, right? Synaptic is a huge example of, you know, the, 
major health systems mm-hmm. sort of beginning to combine the dots where you, you, your patient journeys cross over from, you know, health system boundaries into, you know, you know geography, right? And, and, and so it's helping surround that patient again with that context. So I, I believe that, you know, for as a startup again, right, that may be a good place to engage with and start. And then over time, hopefully, you know, working with uh, a few of them that it does become a, a public utility as we, as we grow this. Do you have any thoughts on which protocol you would use or is that still under R&D as well? Um, not not to yeah that is under r and d right um not too uh, clear on how that might evolve yet because you know part of part of what we are uh, finding is that each health system has their own uh, bent on how they want to approach it right and what exclusivity might mean initially um so so let's say we collaborate uh, with one or two health systems to initially deploy our offering uh, in a platform there. Um, what we are discovering is that, you know, they might want exclusivity for some period of time or a certain geography uh, to be able to scale, help us scale, but also to be number one in, in whatever segment they are trying to approach. And that that then, you know, we have to adhere to kind of what they what they would decide on. So we, we're... We're leaving that a little bit uh, open, if you will, for now. Uh, but we have begun, you know, with sort of um, aspects of using Hyperledger as a, as a way to go. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Today's News Corner is about anonymous genome sequencing and the recent announcement from Nebula Genomics to offer tips and tricks to protect your privacy. In this day and age, when our data and privacy are becoming more and more valuable, it's refreshing to see a healthcare company addressing these issues head-on. Nebula Genomics wants to avoid having your name in their system completely. Tips they provide on their website include using cryptocurrencies or a prepaid debit card to make the initial purchase of the saliva test kit, using a secure email service like ProtonMail, using VPN to give you another protection layer where you'll be using a different IP address to browse the internet, and reserving a PO box from USPS where you can receive the test kit. This also paves the way for allowing researchers to use unidentified patient data sharing that's not de-identified but completely unidentified with the person's permission of course i've interviewed professor george church who co-founded nebula genomics on episode nine of health unchained it's actually the most listened to episode and it was a really thought-provoking conversation you should all check it out if you haven't already I'd like to end this by letting you all know that my episode next week will be with the CEO of Genobank, another genome sequencing on the blockchain type of company. And I'll get his thoughts on this rapidly evolving application and learn a little bit more about Genobank. And now back to Sanjeev Wadwa, CEO of Life Singularity. As you know, and I know, and many of my audience members knows, 
blockchain mm-hmm. adoption is still in its infancy yeah. and it's still pretty new. Yeah. I was wondering yeah. when when did you hear about blockchain and how did you hear about it? Um, I, w- I would say you know really started to come into when you know through Bitcoin obviously and and mm-hmm. but but I think but I think the healthcare adoption um, has has uh, had its challenges. One is health systems have been you know they've been partnering for a long time, uh, but partnering around their context, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. Well, I want to, you know, take this drug to the market, or I want to, you know, have this solution, and I want to collaborate with you. But it's driven by their context. What's what the blockchain is is doing, and and what all of these technologies are essentially doing is, it's you know, there's equally um, well, uh, there's a big, you know, so so data is what I really need to start this off because none of these technologies work. Without data, right? You need data for insight, and that data is no longer a single health systems domain. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so collaborations will now evolve into not just about me, but about my patient population or who I need to manage within that geography. And so, I think it's more driven by community, and and now the focus is going to change, and that's what the social determinants. There's you, you're starting to see a lot of this because it's now externalizing. What you you know you thought about partnering was was internalized before. So if you don't externalize and you don't have mechanisms to collaborate at a large scale, um, that's where you will be left behind. And so I think blockchain helps you build that framework of, of natural collaboration to occur uh, by onboarding. Uh, you know you could still have a private and or a you know public. Uh, blockchain, as long as the context of uh, the business uh, is is fine, but I think organizations like you know CMS or or others, they might have to be almost like a, um, a you know an, a healthcare exchange type of model, right? And then a lot of these healthcare exchanges, again, they were deployed, uh, they failed, you know, for many different reasons, or or you know haven't succeeded as much as was thought initially that their success rate might be. I think with with blockchain, the adoption will be forced onto the entities because there is just no way to access the population insights the same way. And because everybody is trying to do precision uh, in a different way now, it requires us to build a kind of infrastructure. So I think it'll come. It's still very early because organizations had just begun to adopt AI. So, so blockchain is sort of next. And, and now if you start thinking about used to be enterprise architecture was the word you heard a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And now you begin to think about ecosystem architectures, right? Mm. How to data flow outside of my environment. And how do I, you know, so, so what I'm talking about, I couldn't have done that inside a company because just my natural boundaries of aggregating patients which are not in your in you know those who don't visit your facility, right? right? And and so you have to have a mechanism which which breaks those boundaries. And I think blockchain will be the first to sort of help us build that connectivity. And and you know if that exchange begins to flow uh, through organizations like Synaptic and, and collaborations like Synaptic and others, um, and we can then begin to verticalize 
to aspects about how value-based care can be delivered on top of a continuous insight on my on on my patient's journey. Um, I think that's that's how we will start to see adoption come on on that end. Interesting. So I, I know you've you know you've probably spoken to many executives in healthcare. Yeah. What do they say is the biggest barriers to adoption for for blockchain? What's blocking them? Um, biggest barrier. So um, I think you know the biggest barrier. First of all, is it's not it was not invented here. Right? Um, what do you mean <clears throat> here? What I mean here being it's not internal innovation. It's not. It's see. see so, so what has happened with with uh, these events is they have arrived simultaneously, and and, and they've you know they are scaled events, right? Usually, the, the paradigm of innovation was, you know, start in a lab, you know, work with a number of you know you spend a number of years. I mean, look at pharma industry, right? Ten years to to get. Sure. You you know you look at FDA several years before we get any any medical device approved or or you know I mean there's been improvements right there's digital digital therapeutics now and all but it's it's the inertia right it takes time mm-hmm. and then flip side I can tell you I run a million person trial every day mm. I run a million patient trial in the cloud every day and on I can life provide singularity. on life singularity. Right. If I have to build a new insight, I just can I can deliver that a day later. Right. Imagine that to you know I mean not to say that the journey doesn't need to be rigorous. Right? It's the change of how like fast can I get to that insight once I have built my scale of data, and and that insight changes daily, right? Because I'm I'm flowing in new data every day, right? Right, but the quality of that data, I would say, isn't as robust as a clinical trial. That's you know, absolutely right. But I would, I would, I've been pushing back on that for a number of years. That what happens is, it it is only as robust because it's so narrow and it's so focused on that one problem. So you 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 see this. You see that when drugs get deployed uh, in a real world population. They don't have the same effects because you know the waters are muddy, mm-hmm. right? I, I have multiple events happening in my sure. health that that cause the necessary effect to not reproduce, right? Which is why we need real world evidence, right? But if the real world evidence can can be brought into this, I don't need to be. And wait, this is I think this is one fallacy. I think we don't need perfect data. We, we need, initially we need, uh, am I headed in the right direction kind of data, right? But how, I mean, I'll assure you, I'll give you this, that if I spent the next 10 years perfecting the best clinical trial on the planet and you release it on 10 years, 10 plus one, 10 years plus one day, N plus one day, You'll find that it it'll never replicate. It'll never re, you know reproduce exactly the same findings in the lab. You know why? Because you're focused in so narrow, and you've not taken into account millions of other events. 
Yeah, and I agree. Real world evidence is critical for our future. And I think your vision, I understand your vision. Uh, my yeah. only thing is I think it's, it's, it's a difficult challenge. You are facing a very tough problem and yeah. it's going to require a lot of work, a lot of resources and a lot of time. And, and I know that, you know, you're, you're working on your platform now. Um, yeah. My question to you is, you know, what kind of traction have you had so far with clients, customers, users? So I, I would, you know, what I would say is um, where we we went to several early adopters who, who looked at our tech and and the first, you know, I can sort of see that, you know, the appearance of sort of this is we didn't think that this was achievable, right? Mm -hmm. And and we couldn't even, you know, how do you get to base one by building such an insight? So part initially, Ray, is, you know, you, you almost have to, I had to build it to show what could be done, right? Because you can't do this on a PowerPoint deck. You have to actually demonstrate the finding. So we have now gotten to that point where we can demonstrate the findings, right? And so now the question is, we'll put it through clinical validation in, in a couple of disease states like congestive heart failure or hypertension, for example. And, and, you know, show that we can actually proactively and near real time predict some of these events. Right? That, that gets us to, you know, adoption stage on the, on the clinical side of things. But on the social determinant side of things, right, we, we can bring those insights forward. We know through our work on AI that we can actually highlight which, which features or which determines have, you know, are, are sort of major contributors to your health, for example. So maybe maybe the point is not to send you out of a hospital uh, for a, a, only to have you return back three days later for another event, but maybe what you need is, you know, shelter, housing, or, or the nearest, you know, to address your food insecurity, right, right for example, right? And so if those, and that's where I think you know, we could begin to do that work today, uh, collaborate today with health systems. And so we are in, in advanced discussions with seven or eight, uh, where we've had sort of multiple exposures and multiple discussions around their innovation committees uh, who have looked at the tech and, and we're trying to sort of see if we could build that next piece. So we just launched it a few months ago and, and it takes time to work through you know, the innovation committees. So my hope is that within the next year, uh, we'll have breakthrough here in terms of beginning a couple of studies on, on sort of the clinical side and then having uh, two to three clients who now deploy our technology to address uh, social determinants and contributions to health. I see. So what is Less Singularity's business model? How are you making money or developing uh, yeah. value for the company? Yeah, so the way we are uh, structuring this initially, Ray, is, is the collab. Again, I go back to uh, collaboration. And so part of the, the model discussions uh, with our early adopters have been, you know, let's go uh, deploy this in a, in a single, let's say, disease state, for, for example. And then if we can demonstrate it there, then it allows us. So, so a health system potentially could have 50 to 100 hospitals in, in their geography or across multiple geographies. And, and what we would like to do is, um, 
you know, give them some early access to our IP and, and you know, potential to scale it with them. And there, you know, several of their hospital systems then over time, uh, you know, work with them on a model where we could approach it on a PMPM sort of shared risk reward type of model because we, we feel that eventually if I can help predict a certain patient based on number of predictions per month uh, type of thing, then we can actually convert that into a shared risk reward where if we meet a certain benchmark uh, for that patient population, we, we get X percent of the savings of the value we create. Okay. I see. And for the audience, uh, PMPM just stands for per member per month. Correct. Per member per month. And then if we can bring, because we believe that precision health can be delivered at a, at a member level, and if we can deliver on a certain set of events every month, and we save the health system, you know, we, because we are, prognic, uh, we are predicting several of these events ahead of time, weeks, days, months, and, you know, let's assume that we have prevented three heart events, then that translates to some sort of savings the health system, um, we partner with them, right? That's the collaboration. So it's no longer about a, a I mean, I, I sincerely believe that Netflixing, you know, limitless health is the model of the future. And unless you build it for my preferences, lifestyles and behaviors, I won't engage in it. Hmm. And so how do I make it about me? That means I have to reduce the cost bringing it down below $50 a visit or even 10 to down to $10 a visit, which is a subscription you pay me as a patient to keep you in great health, which is nothing compared to the insurance you would pay. And, and from a health system perspective, same, same benefits, right? You, you're essentially lowering their cost of care for the, for the populations they manage. So accountable care organizations, IDNs, uh, integrated delivery networks, are the right collaboration partners, but it is a collaboration because I can't do it alone uh, till I get access to those patients mm -hmm. on an individual basis. Yeah. Um, so, can you discuss any patents that Life Singularity has applied for or granted? We will. We that's in progress. We will apply for it um, over the next few months. Uh, but that's the work uh, we wanted to get to a certain stage where where our AI had progressed to a point where we thought that we had achieved minimal benchmarks of 80% prediction in certain disease states, um, which is where we are trending today and which is required for a clinical utility. So I think once our um, validation cycle starts, we'll you know, currently file for the patent. I see. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the AI aspect and yeah. the blockchain aspect of things, but I do also know you're looking at the virtual reality aspect of this too. So I kind of want to yeah. understand what yeah. type of VR your platform is using and what it offers or planning. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, the, 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 you know, the, you know, I mean, as I sort of approach patient-centricity, there were a few dots to connect. You can think of them as, as um, IoT, Internet of Things, which is my continual context. I needed that, so, so that was one dot. But that, that sort of gave me, that combined with blockchain gives me a fundamental foundation of data about you, which is continuous 
ongoing, always available. Um, the AI helped us uh, sort of shrink that down, millions of uh, data points down to, you know, the top 10, top five recommendations that matter for you, your physician, your caregiver to deploy, right? Because it's narrowing that massive amount of knowledge that no physician, no, no data scientist, no computer scientist can assemble, but its ability to use that framework to say, well, what does make sense, right? And that's what does make sense. So, so then if I know this insight about you, can I help lower the cost of care through virtual care? And, and initially non-emergent conditions and over time in emergent conditions. So that's where, uh, you know, AR, VR came, came as, a, as a final dot to connect for us because I said, you know, there is a you know, physician shortage. Um, there is huge amount of costs in administrative workflows uh, within the industry. And, and could we start? So these are all, you know, if you think if you think of our platform, it's widest at the bottom, right? massive data. And then it shrinks as we go towards the top of the pyramid because we wanted to, again, hone in on, on not just the clinical, but, you know, also financial outcomes. So when we are predicting clinical outcomes, we are simultaneously also predicting where the cost curve is going. And so that allows us to now narrow in into how do I, what kind of messaging and how do I outreach via AR, VR? So the virtual assistant is initially built in a web browser. Um, it's built, it can be 3D. So if you, if you have, you know, again, to lower costs, we didn't want to impose goggles and, you know, a VR environment at home. So it's built in a browser, it's 2D, right? Uh, but if you put the goggles on, you'll be in a 3D environment uh, with that, um, which can be deployed. But initially, again, meeting where the patient is, where the health system is without a requirement for, you know, whole new equipment, you could do it on a phone, right? And, and so no new costs, uh, again, Netflixing type of model. But then we wanted to make sure that the agent is both a voice and, and presence uh, that can be anytime, anywhere. And it could be a guide, right? A guide who is continuously understanding your, your trend and then offers insights into that trend, but also takes away some of the mundane aspects like making appointments or, you know, alerts, routines, alerts, reminders, right? About your day, helping you, you know, manage your day as a, as a patient, for example. And that required us to and that's where sort of all of, you know, when, when you were talking to me earlier about there's a lot to do, which is what cloud has allowed us to do, right? It's bringing together facial analytics, um, care navigation, environment information, it, it, because it can recognize me. So we take 30 different parameters and we store them as part of the HIPAA record. So in other words, once it has recognized me, it knows what Ray, you know, Ray looks like because of the 30 features. I don't need to, I don't need HIPAA information anymore. Um, it, the next time I come, it knows that it is me. Right. So when you say, so then I guess it sounds like it's more about using a virtual screen, not so much about virtual reality with goggles or augmented reality to see some, some you know, to augment your vision of your reality or what you're seeing in, in your environment. Um, that's my understanding. So VR sounds it's, like it's both it's both it's it's offering you so a lot of the telehealth options today mm -hmm. you know you, you need to be able so let's say i'm managing patients in an er setting right everybody in an er for a cardiology clinic has heart rate issues right? 
So if I have 50 patients waiting in my ER, how do I stratify them? Right? Does everybody need the same? Because I have two cardiologists on duty, right? So can't get to every patient. Right, but they don't need to have goggles on to see virtual no, reality. They no, can just no have goggles, a screen. Right? They can exactly. be in a kiosk or they use their mobile device. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, so you put a sensor on them and you walk away. And, and you know, our, our virtual assistant then begins monitoring, right? And, and over time, she can help prioritize for the clinic who needs attention first. And when you say right? put a assistant on them, does that mean like, a small microphone or just do you No, it's a sensor so it'll be a biosensor right you you put it on your chest it monitors 10 different you know aspects of your vital signs so heart rate heart rate variability uh your pulse ox yeah is this device something that you're working on the actual medical device or are you using partnerships uh, yeah this is all partnerships uh, because you know we wanted to use already fda approved uh, measuring yeah can you share a company that's uh, partnering with you or is it still in the works right now? No, no. So, so the, um, there is a few discussions I cannot share, but there's a few discussions ongoing about specific devices. Mm-hmm. But what I will tell you, Ray, is is off the shelf, right? So, you know, could could I use Apple Watch? Right? Mm-hmm. Not in a, in a in a ER setting, but ER ER, you know, any ER would have their own devices heart rate measures so we you know you could pair over a bluetooth you could send that as long as we can get the device to send us the data inside of a clinic or inside of a home mm-hmm. we can begin to process that data i see so i mean we have the ability i see so i mean that's asking a lot for our er especially in the community obviously setting. but um i i like the vision of the possible future um i think you are very eager in how you approach this, but I know that's good. I think we, we need that. Innovation is not easy. It's a lot of work. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask you about how Life Singularity is intending to handle consumer data privacy. Yeah. So, so you know, a couple of thoughts, right? One, one is around, I don't have to begin with continual data about you, right? I can begin with your prior medical history, I could begin with, you know, the social determinants, which, which get me to your zip code, but not you. Right? You you decide what you want to permission. So again, that brings us right. back to blockchain a little bit, right? And those smart agreements I was talking about. So the consent, the patient consent, you know, decides if my vitals stream to life singularity or not. Patient consent will decide what they want to share. Obviously, the less you share, the less precise my insight is about you. Mm-hmm. So there is a minimum viable universe of data that, that you will need to share, right, in order for us to provide that insight back to you, right? Now, could, could we say, uh, could we learn from millions of other uh, trajectories and bring that insight back to you? Sure, right? But it, it won't be as, as precise. So part of how we are approaching this is, um, like like the aspects of you know facial analytics I just described right you you are in in the database as a as a recognized uh, you know feature set and we don't need your name rank and serial number the next time you appear we confirm through a visual interface that it is you right? the the permissioned aspect to me uh, part of what 
the learning has been patient consent obviously will be key to doing this uh, Ray. and then protecting that privilege is part of what you know the business associate agreements with the cloud vendors will provide us right to to be able to protect the data in the cloud the and make sure that it is around a gdpr type of you know protection so they can obviously anytime decide not to be a part of the, the network that provides them with this insight. What I will say that um, it's not, um, it would be desirable that the, the, you know, the consent mechanisms are in place for us to be able to provide this work. And I think some of that has been sort of mislabeled over the years because people didn't understand the consent mechanisms or what they were signing up you know, did they have the permission to actually retract that consent at some point? So I think with, with the blockchain layer, we will say, here's what the data that we are capturing about you. Here's the output that we feel we can provide to you with this data. So, you know, here's what you give, here's what you get. And then if you want to change that arrangement at any point in time, it's a click away, right? What... The, the, the marketplace concept I talked about earlier, and I've talked to several other, you know, blockchain companies are already sort of sharing, uh, you know, genomic data, which is being uploaded and then being, you know, sold to, for example, pharma companies or research institutions that, that want that kind of access. And, and you know, some of this is, is already being done. Uh, I think the, the nature of, Consent will have to change because I can't give you that precision insight uh, if you don't provide us with that. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the future of how we do permissioning of yeah. all data and consenting the data is going to be a whole new industry, I think, in itself. So that's a pretty exciting uh, times we live in. Who do you consider some of your competitors and how are you different? You know, I'm thinking oh. about Google, who's got tons of data. And, you know, if they wanted to, they could try to get more deep into healthcare, which I think they had discussions about. But oh, what yeah. do you consider your competitors? It's um, the way I, I mean, every digital health company um, is a competitor. Uh, Google, Amazon are competitors. I mean, every Medtronic, I mean, every device maker, every pharma company, if you sort of think about, the work that's ongoing in this space, but what I, what we have found, Ray, through why the feedback we got, right, and and what what our early adopters are saying to us, right. So part of what they tell us is that nobody has had a conversation around, um, you know, holistic approaching holistic health, right, and and so and nobody has built point of view around how do you actually build an ecosystem around the patient. So I use that term not as a, as a way to say, well, you know, I, I will have millions of data points about you. What actually differentiates us is the small data, right? The big data is, is aggregating millions of trajectories, but it's the small data about you. It's knowing your context. It's knowing your context in a continual way and then acting upon that, right? In a way that sets you on a right trajectory. Hmm. And that, that to me, I mean, when we approached, uh, you know, Google for investment initially uh, as part of their virtual accelerator, we approached Amazon and NVIDIA to become a part of their accelerators. 
it's their teams that have given us this feedback that nobody has actually approached them about working on all health trajectories simultaneously in a prospective and near real time manner that to me is our core uh, which which you know which is the focus on the 90% of the context to hone and sharpen the 10% where the spend is right and and then using um, the capabilities of 25 different technologies aggregated as a spearhead to pinpoint your your health trajectory right that to me is our differentiation it it allows me this model of you know and i recently talked about this in austin it's you know it's a, essentially netflixing unlimited uh, limitless ai enabled health and and i sincerely think um, we are we are at the we are at the breakthrough point um, within the next um, two to three years i mean google has invested a lot in for example particular disease states right um, uh, you know ibm has invested tremendously in in oncology right and in others um but part of the again some of the differentiation related back to us was they began with a hypothesis in mind you know you begin with diabetes and you begin to explore everything that we already know in medical literature about diabetes where we began our journey is the opposite we began the journey by saying what are all the health trajectories combined telling me about what diabetes should look like so actually what's happened ray is we have found we have found challenges to medical literature because when you amass millions of trajectories and you try to plot where diabetes of a single individual might eventually morph or evolve we are we are having different findings right? where are you currently getting the data that you're using to do these analytics it's 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 you know it's essentially emr data ehr data so which CMR, yeah. which emrs and are these health systems that agree to share yeah data? yeah health systems uh, pooled data right uh, pooled data at a national level do you have to pay for uh, this data or is it no this is open more? right this is open data available to collaborators Okay. but the, the work that we spent time on ray was you know what do you do with do this with data it. for ingestion right. so that we could get to these findings right so it's it's that's where we spent 80% of our time is, hmm. is building the the right foundations so that we could now begin to verticalize into we didn't begin with well we'll do you know uh, diseases of the me- you know metabolism right we didn't begin but it turned out that when we looked at 30 diseases simultaneously uh, you could actually plot how the population was evolving and and from there you could hone in on how the individuals were evolving hmm. and, and now we are at a point where over you know we we can take an entire patient's journey and and we can actually predict years I mean you can take a 10 year a 3 year journey and you can see where those health events will happen mm-hmm. and and the way we we validated that was we actually because we knew the ground truths we plotted when those events actually happened and in in many cases we are weeks days or months ahead uh, which Sanjeev, is which is I a great starting point yeah for sure So Sanjeev I have a few more questions here while yeah, uh, we wrap up. So were there any events or announcements in the healthcare blockchain space that were unexpected for you or surprising and why? I wouldn't 
I wouldn't say unexpected. Uh, well, maybe maybe unexpected is a is a term, but not. A, I, I think I think um, a, a better term in my mind was, you know, finally, right? It's here, and and we should leverage that as a next step. And I think that's quantum uh, computing. Quantum. Yeah, and and I think one of the big learnings we had, uh, Ray, as we looked at. So, so if I took, uh, you know, 55 years of my journey, right, as, as a patient, for example, and, and the ability to look at all of those events simultaneously, right, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that we don't quite, we didn't quite know how to solve when we began our, our you know, model five years ago. But through, I think quantum will help us resolve some of those issues because it allows us to say, I can actually allocate all states to all uh, events uh, simultaneously. And, and by doing that, I think we'll drive, you know, the question that's been eluding us. And that's why everybody tended to focus on a unique disease or a unique uh, single event focus, which is how innovation in digital health has been delivered up until this point because we said, well, nobody can measure all of these things simultaneously, so why don't we just go back to measuring the one thing we do know how to measure? Hmm. But now that we can measure all things simultaneously and, and we can then evolve all of those things simultaneously, and I think that's the sea change that uh, quantum will bring. I see. So you kind of um, hope, you know, your business kind of relies on the future of quantum in a bit so that they can create these complex predictive analytics model. Yes, and I think that's where, you know, the, 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 the reason we all go towards real-world evidence or we think these are all, in my mind, they were great steps in, in paucity of resources, right? We didn't know what to do. Right. But if you have the ability to do multiple chess moves at the same time, that, that's the next shift. Sure. Uh, do you have a favorite blockchain protocol or cryptocurrency project yeah I, I think i think you know what i'm following is the zero proof uh, you know uh, work um, and i think part of this would be i, I you know the, the it is there is something that could go wrong with blockchain which is again these islands of information right? or or these these permission blockchains that never talk to each other right mm -hmm. and part of what collaboration requires is just just another you know it'll create new islands of information right you don't actually want islands of information you want collaboration sure I, I i think you know the the ability to allow that permissioned work for some uh, you know private r d aspects to evolve or private collaboration to evolve is is fine but I think the the whole idea that we could track um, where my drug began its journey in a lab and ended up in a patient, you know, ten years later, uh, the ability to track through tokenization and ability to collaborate across multiple blockchains uh, would be key. And, and that's kind of what I'm trying to follow in in terms of. How do we deploy tokenization over time to build these large-scale collaborations? Excellent. Do you have a favorite business person, researcher, or scientist in history or now? 
in history or now. Um, I, I, I would say that, um, you know, what, what I tremendously um, am following is, is uh, I follow Eric Topol's work, uh, which is around, uh, you know, the ability to create a sea change uh, with continual, continual health uh, insight. I do, I mean, from an organizational perspective, obviously, our, our supporters, uh, you know, at Amazon, Google, NVIDIA, you know, they're tremendous. Because you were, you, you were part of their accelerator program. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk much about that, but you were in the yeah. NVIDIA Inception program and the Amazon yeah. AWS Activate program, so you yeah. were a featured startup there. Yeah, and, and you know, part of... Part of that acceleration is, is the collaboration they offer us. And, I mean, it's both, look, I mean, competition is everywhere, but it's, it's what startups need is, is a way to uh, build that initial uh, model and, and get the support necessary and having that support from uh, entities like these who practically you know, have invented AI or, or deployed AI at scale, I would say, uh, is immensely useful. I think you know initiatives like what what uh, Elon Musk is doing with Neurala, right? Uh, which, Neuralink, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a, essentially a. Um, I think what what where AR VR, uh, you know, will go is empathy, and I think empathy empathy requires this advanced sensing of you know emotions, and that's to me a core would be sensing, and and if I can. You know, accelerate that through initiatives like OpenAI. Um, you know, this this zero proof, zero knowledge proof work in blockchain and and aspects about how then then we can tap into what's happening to uh, the brain computer interface uh, models. I think the next acceleration is is not just about you know immersiveness; it's about uh, presence. Presence in, in in a way that we haven't uh, quite connected to to the end user and patient yet. So I think I mean I want to you know sort of bring that back into all of my work is around uh, to sum it up in two words. It's about patient experience mm -hmm. and and consumer experience and hopefully starting with patient experience and ending just with a consumer experience because I don't I want to actually remove uh, as much of you know journey as as a patient as possible. I agree, and I think, yeah. yeah, and I think as we get closer, uh, as technology gets better, and uh, as communities and individuals and people we get closer, I think empathy is going to be yeah. critical as critical. we, you know, just become more one, really, or become more. We we merge into the singularity, I guess you can say. Um, yeah. Sanjeev, it's been yeah. a really great conversation. I think today, I really enjoyed speaking with you. You're obviously a digital health futurist, which jives with this podcast. And there's definitely a theme here. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of say any last words to the audience, or if you have any recommended resources. Yeah, I would, I would, um, you know, what, um, what, uh, startups like us need is, is, um, is, um, you know, encouragement, um, and, and funding and innovation, uh, you know, from, from, People who, I mean, what I will tell you, Ray, is a lot of innovators have approached us and said sort of, you know, can we become a part of the solution? And, and through, 
you know, just through open collaboration, right? Because they're interested in the purpose. Um, so I think, you know, part of us beginning with a purpose in mind, which is to deliver that advanced insight and, and care to the end point patient is, is what's key for us. And we are looking for those kinds of uh, collaborators in health system. Obviously, as a startup, you have resource needs and, and you know, so uh, this is, this is an open challenge and invitation to, you know, which is how we exponential medicine advanced our, our objectives there. So anyone who's working on an exponential technology and, and has the ability to partner, share, collaborate with us, we'd welcome that. Um, in terms of reading and, and resourcing, I, I would say our world is changing at, you know, such a fast pace. We are moving from technology to technology um, every day, so I, I, you know, it's it's um, it's keeping in sort of, I think, b belonging to the social networks and connecting with people who are both at the bleeding edge of innovation, but also um, also are bringing that back into a a solution is is very key. And so, although I talk in 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 some terms about what the future, how the future will unfold. Uh, our work daily comes back to, you know, how do we take a part of that future and make it real? And, and, and that, that is a huge amount of work uh, that requires us to continually make sure that we actually eliminate hundreds of techniques uh, that are out there uh, because only one or two of them actually work at scale. And so my, my thing would be collaborate, follow these large uh, scale experiments that are on their way with open AI, with, uh, you know, with Facebook and others who are working at uh, you know, mm -hmm. recognition and ability to fundamentally change computer science. Thank you again. appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Ray. Much appreciated. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.